Hi, I'm Kosambi and a super hearty welcome to Shelf, the building blocks of commerce by Mason. Here we talk about the most exciting trends and technologies that are reshaping the world of e-commerce from apps to headless to composable to low code to no code. Well, the list is endless. Join in. Thank you for coming back to Anytime I host a show, Jason, I'd got to have you. But today I have a special agenda. I'm really, you know, as AI really picked up over these past few months. And uh, I mean, all of us are using ChatGPT in any way that we can, including my niece and nephew for their, you know, school projects and stuff. But uh, I think the thing that's coming to me is that everybody is a co-pilot now. You see like a co-pilot for this and a co-pilot for that. And Shopify, Toby, just this amazing, great story behind it. But again, a co-pilot for, you know, e-commerce and merchants. And then most of it ends up being like a chatbot of some sort. Like what's happening out there? Like, I would love your take on that. We'll start with that. Yeah, look, I've even considered adding a fourth episode a week to my podcast, The E-Commerce Edge, because of the pace at which commerce and AI are starting to fuse. Now, what's interesting about this is that I called it stealth commerce, and I coined this term back in 2019, and I wrote an article on LinkedIn about stealth commerce and basically, my description of stealth commerce are transactions that customers, it's so frictionless that customers don't recognize them as transactions. So back then, it was the start of the smartification of everything, smart fridges, smart pantries, smart cars, smart TV, smart everything was really starting to become much more common. And to the point where I think it was Samsung or maybe it was LG had come out with a fridge where you could scan your items into the fridge. It had cameras in the fridge, which would detect when things were starting to go off. You know, we were starting to get into smarter technology. We thought voice assistants were going to become the primary way that we interfaced with technology. And they kind of were, they took off a little bit, but they really never hit the mainstream. And I think what we're seeing is we're seeing the desire by everyday normal people to automate their lives, right? So automate as much of their life as they can so they can get as much time back as they can to spend with family and friends and travel, especially now at the end of COVID with all this revenge travel. People are wanting to spend more time overseas. They're, they're wanting to see the world. They've been locked down for three years. So, you know, the whole face of society has changed quite dramatically. And I recently had a client on my podcast where he was talking about the fact that he implemented NetSuite. He wanted to run some custom suite script for some automations inside the platform. He didn't want to have to go back to his NetSuite partner for every tiny little change that he wanted to run in NetSuite. So what did he do? He went to ChatGPT. He described what he wanted to achieve. He described that he wanted to do it with SuiteScript. And ChatGPT spat back the suite script for him. He put it, he loaded it into to NetSuite, and now he's able to automate and integrate things that he would normally have had to use a very expensive agency partner to implement. Now, this is just one example, I think, of the way that people are automating lives through ChatGPT. But my, my next logical mental leap, and I even brought this up when I was talking to him, was, well, why didn't NetSuite integrate ChatGPT directly into NetSuite? So I can go into the, into the SuiteScript module, type in what I want to achieve, and then it generates the SuiteScript behind the scenes. That's, I think, the logical next step is that we're now going to go from copying and pasting files and words and prompts 
into ChatGPT, and these large language models are going to be integrated into just about every single piece of software on the planet so that we don't have to move back and forth between these systems. They just all work seamlessly together, right? And I think that for most people, they're starting to get a little bit paranoid. A lot of the people in my industry that I talk to, primarily clients or potential clients, is they're going, how am I going to leverage these large language models? How am I going to leverage AI to help keep my business one step ahead of, of my competitors? And what I'm telling them is I'm saying, look, just calm down. Just like with almost all other technology that you run in your business, you're not going to be building anything from scratch yourself. You're not going to have to because the major vendors and partners that you already work with, so let's say you use a personalization platform on your website today, they are going to incorporate AI into their technology and you're going to consume it like you consume any other service that you get from any other SaaS platform provider. You're not going to have to, you're going to, have to sign up for you know, API access to ChatGPT and then try to figure out how to integrate this into your customer experience. Your partners are going to do that heavy lifting for you. And so I think a lot of people are unnecessarily worried, at least in the short term, short to medium term, they're not going to have to be AI experts to be able to leverage these technologies. These technologies are going to make their way into every single mainstream piece of software in existence. Yeah. And you know what? That's happening already with the whole whole uh, Shopify Copilot that just got launched, I think, what, last week or a week? Well, it was announced, but not launched. Correct. It was announced and not launched. And people are raving about it a little bit. I, I took a look at, you know, a bunch of videos floating around. Looks like another chat, though. And my question that's, you know, now I'm thinking about every time we're talking about Gen AI and not talking about other kinds of AI right now, just, just generative AI, it sort of defaults into this like default, like chat mode, right? It's almost like the minute you think about Gen AI, it's a chatbot, you know? Like, what's happening there? Like, are we somehow getting limited by what we see and not? not really able to, you know, kind of imagine how AI can be applicable beyond just just a chat? Or do you think that's a very important part of the whole process? Well, I think what ChatGPT was very good at doing was providing an extremely familial interface to basically lower the barrier to entry to access this AI in a very comfortable, easy way, right? Because effectively, what they did is they slapped a Google-like interface on top of a large language model. That's what they did. And, the, and everybody's used to going to Google and typing in their query and getting a response back, right? Well, in the case of Google, it's a list of links. In the case of, of ChatGPT, it's a response that's a very human-like, almost like a spoken response. I think the logical next step from here, there's two logical next steps that I think that AI is going to have to take for it to truly hit the mainstream. Because we've already seen over the last two months, the use of ChatGPT has kind of fallen off a cliff a little bit. That initial buzz, you know, that initial race to 100 million users, you know, we've started to see that tail off a little bit, I think, because the novelty has worn off a little bit. And I think the next two major steps that are going to have to happen for it to get into and stay in the mainstream are conversational in nature. So in other words, at the moment, as a prompt engineer, which is basically like an expert Googler, that the, today's version of an expert Googler of knowing how to ask the right bloody questions, <laughs> what I put in my query it will spit back a response. But if it's not detailed enough, then I have to refine my query, maybe copy and paste a piece out of the response, put that back in the query, and then slowly over a period of three or four questions, five questions, refine my query down to the point where I'm actually getting a response I really want, right? Mm. Now, what is missing is the conversational part. So if before ChatGPT gave you an immediate response, if it asked two or three or four follow-up questions, 
so that it was already starting to formulate the way to best narrow down your query to give you the response you really want, just like a friend would. So, you know, if I ask a friend a question or if I'm needing some advice or some life help or if I'm going to a counselor and I say, this is my problem, they don't immediately start spouting back answers to me and, and trying to give me a resolution. They will ask follow-up questions. They'll ask me three or four, oh, well, well, tell me about this and tell me what you're experiencing and what are the problems you've run into or what are the opportunities and what do those look like and what's happened over the last two weeks? And they will drill down with a series of qualifying questions before they start giving me a piece of advice or recommendation or whatever, right? And it's the same way in my podcast or your podcast. You know, we don't immediately start giving questions. You know, it's a conversation. It's a two-way give and take type of conversation. And I think that's the first thing that needs to happen with these large language models. They have to get much, much better at interrogating us so that they can give us the right responses instead of the entire responsibility falling to us to refine our prompts over time. The second thing is it has to move to conversational, meaning voice. It has to, the interaction has to move out of typewritten chat to a two-way conversation. Again, going back to that friend conversation, we sit down on a couch, we pour ourselves a cup of tea, and we have a two-way conversation. We don't sit on our screens unless we're separated you know, by miles, in which case maybe on Messenger we'll type. But more often than not, even with my own family, and they're you know, half a world away, we're going to jump on video messenger chat, we're not going to sit down and type, you know, we're not going to have an entire conversation over typewritten chat. It just doesn't make sense, right? And so I think those are the two things that are really going to need to happen in the AI world. I think we are going to get back to that voice scenario. But I think now the original voice assistants, you know, Siri and Cortana and all the rest, they were pretty crap. And they always, I think, had the ability, they always had the data to be much, much better than they were. I think major companies, the likes of the Apples and the Microsofts of the world and the Googles of the world, they were too afraid of coming across as too creepy and trying to cross that uncanny valley chasm. But now I think that ChatGPT has eased the world into it to where now people like me and like you, I would assume, are expecting us to be able to have a conversation with AI agents. Yeah. And what I'm hearing, you know, a common pattern in both of these scenarios that you're painting the picture of is this sense of interactivity, is this sense of back and forth, right? Where it's very human-like. I think that's like the basis of how we interact with the world. We expect, we do something, we expect something back. I mean, some sort of a reaction back. And I think that's what I'm hearing is that it's getting both the visions paint this picture of this like world where it's not like you're typing a command on your laptop or just switching on something, but it's actually a system that's engaging back with you, right? Correct. And I think if we look to science fiction, because the reality is science fiction has been talking about this type of outcome for decades, you know, since the beginning of TV, basically, and movies, science fiction has gone absolutely wild. I mean, if we think about the movie Her, for example, you know, why did he fall in love with technology or fall in love with effectively an AI agent? Because it was conversational and because it was so close to being human-like in the way that it interacted and responded that it wasn't just asking a question, getting an answer. It was interacting and formulating its own questions to further qualify the discussion and to help. When we think about, you know, when we meet somebody new at a bar or, you know, my wife and I were out to dinner last night, right? And we were sitting next to, in this part of where we're at in Mexico right now, in Ahihik, there's a lot of expats both traveling here and, and living here. 
And so we were next to a, a table of a couple of guys. They started playing ball with our dog. And then we, we started a conversation. They said, hey, where are you guys from? And I think they must have heard our accents. We had a bit of funny accents. And they were probably wondering where the heck are these guys from? One of them was from Canada. One of these guys was from the States. And the Canadian guy had lived in the States for about a decade. And so he kind of felt like he knew accents, but he didn't couldn't really work out where we were from. And so we started a dialogue. And we ended up chatting with them for about an hour at the end of our dinner while they were throwing the tennis ball for our dog, which was nice. He Keep him occupied. I guess the thing that stands out in these types of conversations is there's a genuine sense of interest and inquisitiveness on the part of both sides. So there's this combination, I think, of vulnerability and genuine curiosity. Those are the two things that humans bring to the table in a massive way, right? As we slowly started to get more vulnerable with them and share a little bit about our background and our history and you know that I'm originally from America, but then I moved to New Zealand. And, and as you slowly start to lower your barriers in normal conversations, so does the other person. They feel comfortable to get a little bit more personal and share a little bit more about their personal life and how they came to be where they are. And then, you know, that genuine level of curiosity of, of asking questions, getting answers, it's almost like a game of tennis, right? Or maybe it's, it's probably a little bit more like a dance, right? But there's real complexity to human interaction that allows us to get along as a species, right? And this has been developed, obviously, over tens of thousands of years. So I think it's going to take a little bit of time for AI to figure out the subtleties of human interaction. Because when you think about it, even each language and culture has its own unique subtleties about the way that that culture interacts both internally with itself and externally with other cultures and languages around the world. And when we think about, I'll give you one example. So in Mexico, the Spanish language is such that you always want to start with some level of niceties, but even in a business context, you always are expected to start with niceties before you get down to business. You don't just start a conversation. Even in an email form, you would be expected to have some sort of nice introduction, and then you get into the conversation about business. Now, in English, you can get away with being a little bit more direct and a little bit more down to business with fewer niceties. But this is just a cultural difference between Spanish and English and the cultures that speak Spanish. They have a different expectation about how you interact with them. And they're a little bit more formal in nature, that there's more formalities and floweriness that go along with the conversation so that you don't come across as rude and disrespectful, right? Now, you only learn that when you come here and you start to integrate into a Spanish-speaking society, you learn that because you observe it, you watch it, you listen, you watch the interactions and you're like, oh, okay, I get that. This makes sense. And then you listen to the way they speak both to each other and to you in terms of an opening conversation. And so you very rapidly through immersion start to pick up how this culture is different to your own, right? Or how you were raised maybe. And you start to adapt so that you can integrate in and have great interpersonal relationships with locals. Now, it's these types of nuances, I think, that AI is going to struggle with in the, in the short term because mostly it's been trained on written documentation. It's been trained on a corpus of data that comes from the likes of Reddit. It comes from the likes of Quora. It comes from, you know, it comes from huge corpuses of data and context is lost often in those environments. And so I, th I think that's what's going to take time. And it's only through these verbal exchanges, these verbal exchanges, where AI is going to get better and start to learn because it's not, it's not a two-way exchange yet. Yeah, it's not, right? And I think that's what probably is, you know, you 
for the past six months, eight odd months now. Initially, there is like a lot of new quick updates and changes happening very frequently. And then suddenly you see the tapering off because, you know, like now it's about how does it move from beyond that initial, as you said, that novel aha moment of, hey, I just asked it something and it like wrote a whole book for me to now the next phase of, is it almost human-like, right? And that's like a big jump for any system in any large language model to actually, you know, jump towards, right? Which is understanding how how we are expecting it to respond back to us in real time. I think the other thing that is becoming apparent, and I think a lot of AI researchers are starting to raise this as a massive risk, is that the first wave of AI, particularly large language model AI, was trained on human-generated creative. So human-generated text, human-generated images, human-generated music, it was trained, or at least you know, human-augmented music. Obviously, we, we've had synthesizers for a long time and electronic drums, but the creative elements of all of this were based on human creativity, right? Human experience documented, human experience discussed, human learnings discussed and shared. And that became the foundational model for everything that's come after it. The challenge now is, is that so much of the content now being put out into the public domain is AI generated, that it's now degrading the capacity for AI to learn new things. And, you know, Meta's talked about this, OpenAI's talked about this, that the learnings, when AI learns from AI, it quickly degrades the quality of the output very, very quickly. So that tells me that AI is not yet to the point of genuine creativity. AI is very, very good at a combination of mimicry and amalgamation. It's very good at doing those two things, right? It's great at forgeries, right? It's great at taking a corpus of data, making unique connections between that data that a human may not otherwise make, and then effectively curating that information and giving you back a concise response based on curation and amalgamation of underlying data sets. But I think we're, you know, I think that AI could fail just as quickly as it succeeded if the vast majority of the creative output in the world becomes generated by AI. We're going to pretty quickly get to a place where AI is not as useful as it was when it was trained on human generated creativity. Which leads me to the question of AI and e-commerce, right? And I've heard about it, I've read about it, but when you are talking about it in the context of the conversation, it feels even more, you know, I can feel the weight of that problem, right? Like we are all, everybody's talking about AI becoming like conscious and AGI and stuff like that, but that's not really going to happen. And even if that happens, if everything's trained on AI-generated content, then what are we really talking about? So what I see is that AI, general AI versus when you're applying AI to a certain industry, you see a little bit of a difference because the AI is, of course, it's like a bunch of us, humans are great at general, you know, knowledge and general information and general intelligence. But, you know, when you're specializing the skills to a certain domain, it can go really deep and it can do a lot of those things that we hate doing or we are probably huge data sets, real-time data, real-time, you know, uh, responses, all of that much better. But I guess the same problem would exist. So let's you know, take example of e-commerce and there's so many applicabilities. People talk about chat and chat commerce and, you know, support, help and all of that. But there's like applicability from forecasting and design creation of 
products to literally your e-commerce, of course, the funnel to post-purchase and everything else. There's so much applicability across uh, when it comes to AI. What's happening there? What are some of these interesting things that you've been hearing about? And the problem that you just mentioned must be a real problem even in a vertical specific, you know, AI, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, what you raised in the very, very beginning of our conversation where Shopify was talking about its AI co-pilot capability, I think when those systems have been tuned for a very, very specific purpose, they will be very good at automating things in a English language, for lack of a better term. I think multilingual chatbots will get better. But for now, because the corpus of data that they've been trained on is largely English language inputs, it makes sense that they would initially only be good at English language outputs. So I think they will get better as they're trained on foreign data sets and foreign languages and they start to learn things about foreign cultures. I think I think they will get better in other languages. But for now, the language of these chat agents is largely English. And I think where they will get really good in these vertical specific scenarios is where instead of having to type something or instead of having to Google something. So as of today, if I want to make a change in Shopify to either a configuration or I want to make a change to the liquid code or I want to or I want to install an app and I want to I want to configure the app before I can deploy it and use it. As of today, I have to click around the UI, I have to click buttons, I have to I have to Google the question and then I'll go to the Shopify help page. I'll I'll read the help page and it'll say, okay, these are the five steps you got to do to configure your shipping or your automatic promotions or whatever it might be. So I basically have to use my human brain to interpret what I'm reading and then apply it to my use case or my situation, right? What I think these chatbots are going to get very, very good at doing in these vertical specific applications is saying, okay, no, I'm going to use my normal human English language. I am going to describe to the system what I want to achieve, and then it is going to use its knowledge of that system and the configurability of that system, and it is going to action it on my behalf. So it's going to act as a translator between my human spoken language and the language of the system. And I think that's where we're going to see some massive productivity increases. Because for example, just one simple example, if I want to set up an automatic promotion inside Shopify today, the UI, okay, it's reasonably user-friendly, but I I wouldn't call it overly user-friendly. You still need to be reasonably technical to get a good result out of this system. Whereas if I could just say, okay, I want to put this category on special, I want it to have 10% off, and I want that promotion to run from this date till this date, and I want to add a product tag on the front end that shows that this thing is on special for 10% off, right? That all items in this category are 10% off. And then all of a sudden, in 10 seconds, it actions all of that. It sets up the discount layer. It adds the product tags and boom, we're off to the races. Well, now, I mean, that, that could potentially save, you know, 20 to 30 minutes worth of time every single time I need to do that task. Well, now, cumulatively, if we think about all of the administrative tasks that are required to run an e-commerce operation across all the systems that support it, not just the e-commerce layer, but the PIM layer and the CDP layer and all these other systems that are used. Now, if we if we apply that time savings as a percentage of our workday to each one of those systems, because we can automate that process by just speaking to it in natural English language, that's a game changer. That's a game changer. And that brings incredible productivity, even to people that are experts. So for me, like I know the questions to ask, like if I want ChatGPT to help me with some research, instead of hiring a research assistant, 
who can go away and, and find some piece of data that I need and format it nicely and put it into a spreadsheet for me that then I can speak to and I can do further research on. Now I can ask ChatGPT to be my research assistant. And I can say, go and find this piece of data from this time period and, and, and give it back to me, right? Obviously up until I think September of 2021, but BARD is, is real-time net connected. And so BARD in many respects is giving back better responses now than, than ChatGPT. But we also have the final challenge, which is hallucination. And I have run into hallucination on many occasions with ChatGPT, where it spits something back to me that sounds totally believable. It, it speaks with such confidence and conviction that the response makes me believe this is 100% true. And I'll give you one example. So I wanted to, we were in Guanajuato here in Mexico, and I wanted to plan a trip to go to some place that was quite green, like a park-like area, maybe even a nature park with some animals, maybe even you know a wildlife park of some variety. And I started asking it for basically an itinerary, right? And I wanted it to be within an hour of where we were, all this sort of stuff. And it came back with this park that it said was 20 minutes away from where we were, because I told it where we were. I looked it up on Google Nav, and it was an hour and 15 minutes away. So it was definitely not 20 minutes away, but the level of conviction that it spoke about was totally believable in terms of an itinerary it was putting together for me. So I think that was my first really serious rude awakening with blatant, well, it was effectively a blatant lie, but it, was, it just came across as so convincing. And I, I think AI is increasingly going to come across as more and more convincing, especially when it becomes conversational. We're still going to have to use our human intuition. I compare it to mainstream media and advertising. I compare them, right? So I think we have these automatic filters on now when we're scrolling social media, when we're scrolling posts. You know, we don't just believe everything that is presented as fact on the internet anymore. I mean, we learned that safe and effective wasn't safe and effective during COVID, didn't we? That everything was presented as fact. Well, we learned, well, that fact is bullshit, actually. And so I think we're going to get better at being intuitive about separating fact from fiction, or at least having massive question marks in our mind, instead of just accepting that what AI says is fact. Yeah. And that's a problem. I mean, it doesn't matter. Even before AI, it was the same problem. Social media and more and more information came up with the same problem, right? Like, how do you make sure what's right, what's wrong? Everyone's living in their own bubble. So that stands, right? 100%. Now, before we wrap in it, oh, this is so interesting. I've, I feel like every time I bring you on and I, <laughs> I just ask, just tell me more. I learned so much, Jason. It's so much fun. But before we sort of wrap up, we'll continue this conversation again. I, I do want to get you back again, maybe six months in and see like what's happening with a lot more of, I see a lot of e-commerce AI, you know, uh, co-pilots and products uh, released. And so I think it'll be very interesting six months down to see like what's the space like and what's happening over there. But like, what are your thoughts? Like there's so many things that's happening how do you as a brand as a business owner like what what should you do now should you just wait and watch or is there something like how do i even keep on top of what's happening out there well look i do consume a fair bit of industry media and i do that so that i can make sure that nothing major happens you know i think i found out about the shopify copilot i think within about 3 hours of toby announcing it and showing the video on twitter because Harley Finkelstein posted that same video to 
LinkedIn. And of course, I saw his video. And so I immediately made my own video about it. And I put that up to, to YouTube because I, you know, I always want to try to stay as much at the cutting edge of our industry as I can so that nothing comes as a surprise to me or heaven forbid a customer comes and asks me a question and I literally know nothing about what they're asking me. Like I go, oh, that's interesting. Let me go away and do some research on that. I don't kind of want to be completely surprised ever if I can help it. So I do try to stay up with the changes in our industry as much as I can without consuming every waking minute of my life. But, you know, I think that I've tried to take a pretty pragmatic approach to this, which is to say, look, I, I remember pre-internet world. I remember the internet being released. And then I remember a post-internet world where, where everything was net connected or virtually everything was net connected. And if you didn't have the internet, you were a Luddite. So I've seen lots of tech come and go. And then I saw the mobile revolution. I've seen so many tech revolutions sweep the world that to me, this is just another one of those instances. And I guess it always takes a while for the reality to catch up with the hype, right? There's the hype cycle. We're all very familiar with what's known as the tech hype cycle, right? And this is driven largely by the investment community and VCs because in the same way that I have almost a sense of FOMO and I don't want to miss out on the latest and greatest new thing, investors don't want to miss out on the latest gravy train and they want to be in on the ground floor. And so, you know, VCs after the collapse of Web3 and crypto, which they had poured billions and billions and billions of dollars into, they were looking for the next gravy train that they could get their snouts in the trough of. And obviously where money flows, attention goes, right? Or where attention goes, money flows. You know, those are interchangeable things, right? And so now, you know, basically, unless you put AI in the name of your product, you're probably not going to get funded today. So there's a complete ice age happening in the VC community, except for AI. And there's still billions of dollars flowing into AI technology. And so what I've seen is a lot of technologies that had nothing to do with AI, they've now slapped AI in the front of it, and they've, they've tried to tap into a large language model so they can go out and get funding. And so I think that there's a lot of gamification happening in the investment industry right now. And, you know, a lot of companies that are building technology are, are figuring out the ways that they need to game the industry to get funding. And so I, I think, you know, we're going to see a bubble form in AI, and we're already seeing a bubble form in investments around AI. And we're going to see a lot. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of AI first technology companies that are going to collapse. They're going to run out of funding. They're not going to find product market fit. And they're going to go the way of the Dodo, just like a lot of crypto and a lot of Web3 projects went the way of the Dodo when the funding dried up, right? So we're going to see the sustainable businesses drop out of the bottom of this. And it's probably only going to be five, you know, if history holds true, it's probably only going to be five to 10% of the current projects that will go anywhere. But the power law of VCs will mean that that's okay. They will do so well that if only five or 10% of these technology companies turn into unicorns, well, they'll get their money back and then some. And so that's the power law at work here. And we're seeing that play out right in front of our very eyes, exactly like it did with Web3, exactly like it did with mobile, exactly like it did with every technology to come before it. So look, I'm not overly worried. I'm not overly panicked, but I'm definitely trying to keep my finger on the pulse of what's happening. And I'm trying to play with these technologies. I'm trying to play with BARD, ChatGPT, trying to play with these technologies wherever and whenever I can and wherever it makes sense to, but I'm certainly not panicking. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's like, be aware, but like, you know, don't change everything yet. Like, hold on, right? <laughs> yeah. Super. Always a pleasure. And we'll catch up again soon. And thank you so much for being a part of, you know, my quick little show again. Thank you so much for having me. It's always, always a pleasure to chat with you. You're super switched on and you ask great questions. So thank you.
Awesome. And uh, for everybody who wants to ping Jason, we will, of course, uh, give all his details in, in our uh, you know comments too. But Jason, if someone wants to reach you quickly and ask you like what's happening and they need some help, how can they reach you? Probably the easiest is LinkedIn. I spend a lot of time over on LinkedIn. I put out content every single day on LinkedIn. And then if they want to learn more about what I do and how I do it, they can go over to my website, which is greenwoodconsulting.net. And they can check out my podcast, which is the e-commerce edge podcast. And we're up over 240 episodes now. So they can find me wherever. Yeah. Perfect. Please, if you have any questions on e-commerce or any new technology that's coming up over in future and you hear about, just ping Jason or you know ping me. I'll point you to the right people. And uh, thank you so much for being a part of this episode. We'll uh, be right back soon. And that's it. That was awesome. And thank you folks for listening in. If you enjoyed the chat, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast right here. And of course, do hop on to Mason at www.getmason.io. That's www.getmason.io. We got more Ace in the Hole insights, conversion tips, and just everything that you need to scale your e-commerce brand. Catch you next time.